Good morning. Good morning. How we doing, Avenue Church? Well, welcome to the Avenue. Welcome home. As Jessica said, it's so good to be with each of you this morning. Excited to be here this morning on Palm Sunday. Come on. Excited about what God is doing in our lives. Excited about the opportunity we have to gather together. This is one of those Sundays where it's easy to look ahead and be excited about next week and miss that God might want to do something this week because Easter's coming. And we're all excited. It's on the calendar. It's been circled. We've been planning Easter since Christmas ended. And yet Palm Sunday in itself should be celebrated for what it is. As they said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus rode into that town, that space there. And I pray that he enters into your life today, enters into your situation today, enters into whatever challenges you have today. I'm already preaching. I'm not even in my notes yet. It's Palm Sunday. I get wound up about Palm Sunday. Come on, somebody. Because God is doing something amazing, and we are happy to be a part of it, happy to be involved in that. Hey, listen, next Sunday is Easter. Make sure you are here, you're involved. If you ever wanted to serve and be a part here at the Avenue, Easter Sunday is a great Sunday to just say, I want to kick the tires, I want to be a part. What can I do? We have three service opportunities next week alone, 8.30, 10 o'clock, 11.30, we're asking, come out to all of them, come out to something, be a part of it. We are expanding and making room because there are friends and family in your life that you have access to that are going to go to church and say yes to being together on Easter Sunday. So bring them out. We'll have egg hunts for each one of their services as well. So your kids aren't going to miss out on hunting eggs. Can you imagine if you're here for all three services and your kids go home with eggs from all three services? You're going to be trying to get a nap and that child is not. Make sure you're a part of that. Also, this evening is Growth Track. Growth Track is our way of helping you engage the avenue and discover about who we are as a church and then also discover who you are as an individual. It's an event that happens on the first Sunday of each month, and it's hosted by Pastor Brandon and Pastor Lori at their house. So we invite you to come out, bring your kids if you'd like to, get with them about more information about that, and that is your first step to becoming a part of more here at the Avenue Church as well this evening at 6 p.m. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 14, and we're going to dive into this chapter and d- dive into a couple verses here. It's kind of on the, um, it, it, it's, it's, it's happening after Palm Sunday. So I just gave you my Palm Sunday sermon here in my intro, and we're going to dive into where Jesus is at right now as he's about to step into the Garden of Gethsemane. Verse, chapter 14, verse 32 says this. Then they went to a place called Gethsemane. It was Jesus and his 11 disciples. Judas has already betrayed him and left. He's already gone. Though it's just Jesus and now the 11. Jesus says, sit here, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. I wonder what deeply distressed and troubled Jesus looks like. I know what worried, anxious, distressed, troubled Dave looks like. Have you ever wondered what deeply distressed Jesus looks like? My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch. Verse 35, so going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples, and he found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Notice he didn't initially invite them into prayer with him. He just said, hey, guys, keep watch. Jesus, knowing what's about to happen, knows that the betrayer, Judas, is coming to apprehend him. Maybe this is why he's saying keep watch. Maybe he's saying it with another term. Maybe he's saying it more figuratively than literally. However, he wasn't inviting them into prayer until he comes back around and finds them asleep. He says, couldn't you keep watch for an hour? Now he says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. He doesn't even ask the disciples to pray for him. Sometimes you don't need to be going around asking everybody to pray for you. You need to pray for you. It's okay to ask others to pray for you, but are you praying for you? 
Jesus is looking at this at the, the 11. He's taking three to the side. He says, Peter, James, John, you need to pray for you. So you would enter not into temptation. And he gives them this peace into their lives that is so, so discoverable that we need to stare into it as well. He says, for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. If you've ever been to Chick-fil-A, you know what he's talking about. I was in New York City last week. I ate my way through that city. I was there one day. I landed and ate a pizza before I got out of Brooklyn. The place next door was a dessert, dessert shop. I had an eclair and cookies and a long espresso, double. I went from there into the city. I just can't, I could tell you all day. I ate my way through that city. The spirit was willing and the flesh was weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. Verse 40, when he came back, he found them again sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. You ever get, you ever, everybody grew up in church and you hear, boom, and you just don't even know what to say. They wake you up and you're like, ah, that's where they were at. Like they're so embarrassed. They didn't even know what to say. And returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Look at the added emphasis Mark makes sure the reader identifies with. He puts exclamation points at the end of each one of those. Jesus now has his game face on. He has a strong emotion. He wants us to notice that the, the, the emphasis, the expression that Jesus has. He says, rise, let's get going. Here comes my betrayer. It's time for me to go face what I'm here for. There's something about you and I that when it's time for you to be in your purpose and to live out what you're created for, this strong expression comes up and you don't have the same. This is why people that text all the time and use exclamation points at the end of everything they say can't be taken serious. You know how they say in class, they say, if you write everything in bold, nothing is in bold. You can't send an email and embolden the whole thing. You have to just put a couple lines in bold so people see the emphasis you want them to add. You can't send a text where everything always has an exclamation point or nobody will understand your intensity. However, Jesus doesn't use this type of intensity often. This expression is not common to him. So when he does express himself with such strong emotion, the disciples have to realize Jesus is facing something right now. Jesus looks like he's ready for a fight. Let's pray. God, I thank you this morning for your word. Jesus, we thank you for going to that garden and giving us the opportunity to have a sneak peek, to peer into your raw humanity. In that moment, distressed, troubled. God, I thank you that we ourselves can relate to that. So this morning, I pray, Lord, that you would open our ears, our eyes, and our hearts to hear, see, and understand you better. We thank you in Jesus' name. Everybody said. Come on, everybody said. Yeah. Hey, listen, I don't know about you, but there's a couple things in life that kind of like they, they kind of don't make sense to me. Now I'm gonna open up with this one right here, and if it's you, know that I'm just ignorant. It's it's me, not you. I don't understand bumper stickers. Anybody like bumper stickers? Like, why would you put something with glue and adhesive on your car? You just paid thousands of dollars for, overpaid for probably. Maybe you put it on the glass. I was riding one time, and we've seen some crazy bumper stickers, and I saw this bumper sticker. It, it caught me, though, and it's about the only one I've ever remembered because driving is always like that sense of life. You know, when you get to that point in life when you're like, I'm going to drive. I'm going to get my license. I'm going to be transit. I'm going to get out of this place. I'm going to have my own car. When I get a car, I'm going to do this. Cars have never meant a lot to me. I've never been a particular kind of car kind of guy. I drive when I drive. I don't have to fix it up. I don't have to put money into it. I don't have to jack it up. I don't have to put lights on it. It just has to get me somewhere. I enjoy it, but I'm not overwhelmed by it. I don't make heavy investments into it. So when people put bumper stickers on it, it doesn't make sense to me. I'm the one ignorant, not you. However, this one bumper sticker one day said, no pain, 
No pain. I've heard no pain, no gain, but who knows what no pain, no pain means. Somebody's trying to walk through life pain-free. No pain, no pain. And it was a play on the, on the cliche of no pain, no gain. And I thought, man, you're just kind of missing the point. Because it is through painful experiences that we gain the strength to move to the next one. It is through the pain of life that we walk through that we actually, a woman has birthed pains and birthed a child into the world. It is through pain that God uses as a transportation model for us to get to the next place in life. Yet many of us resist pain oftentimes, and that's our motto in life. No pain, no pain. Jesus is in that spot, and he realizes, if I'm going to do what I was created for, came to this earth for, lived this life for, there will be pain involved. There will be pain involved. I remember when I was trying to get my, my driver's license in Maryland, we had these things called learner's permits. I Googled this to see if it's the same here. I think they're still called learner's permits here in Texas that are learner's licenses and different things. I got my learner's permit. Actually, I didn't get it. I went and took the test, and I failed. Failed the test, 20 questions. You get more than three wrong, uh, you fail. Failed the test. Went back, passed the test. Drove for six months. Permit expired. Went back, they renew it, had to take the test again, failed the test again, went back and passed the test, then I'm driving my permit. I go to driver's education school, get my license. When I get to the school, I start taking the classes. Worst school ever. I'm in the class, I'm bored, I've been driving all this time. All they do is show us car wrecks and these terrible moments and happenings and incidences and things that are going on. As I'm sitting in the class, I realize we have a trip to South Carolina coming up. I'd like to drive. So I go to my instructor one day. I said, hey, I've only got like one or two hours behind the wheel in with you, and I've got still a whole lot of hours of class. Any way we could speed up the process so I can drive to South Carolina? And he looks at me, and he goes, I got you. No problem. I come back to the class next time. He gives me my thing. You're good to go. Don't even bother coming back. What a joke. What a joke. He didn't put me through the process that I needed to go through to get to what I needed to get to. See, I'm trying to get my license to be able to drive, and this guy's just trying to hand me something pain-free. I asked for an out. He gave me more than an out. And too many times in life, we're looking around wanting to know, God, would you get me through this thing? And God's going, I'll get you through it. But that's the key part. It's through it. Not around it. Sometimes God takes us around things. Oftentimes God takes us through things. And so he takes us through this thing because he wants to make us stronger for it. He wants to make us better because of it. He wants to get us, uh, have more resiliency and tenacity in our lives. So I'm going to give you three quick points. Because Jesus is in this moment, he's readying himself, he's prepping himself, he's getting himself all ready for what he's about to do. He's preparing himself. See, Mark 14 opens up with the story about the, the scribes and the Pharisees have plotted murder for Jesus' life. It moves on to tell us that Jesus was anointed at Bethany with perfume. Then Judas agrees to the betrayal. Then Jesus has Passover with his best friends. Then he institutes communion. Jesus warns Peter about denying him, and then we see the, them arrive at the garden. That's where we picked up our scripture, and the three go off and pray, and all of this is happening, and Jesus is now realizing, I've lived 33 years, three years doing this ministry thing, and this is the point for which I'm here. He's being prepared. He's being prepped. He was being readied for it. Number one, write this down. You're getting preparation for destination. I know it rhymes. It sounds cute but it's a reality of every one of our lives. I promise you, whatever your situation is right now, your challenge, which is different than the person next to you, which is different than mine, but could be similar to somebody else in this room, no matter what, you could take this point and apply it to it. You are in preparation for destination. The problem is, is we don't want preparation for destination. We want destination without preparation. 
So oftentimes we bail out on the preparation and wonder why. God, why am I not where I'm supposed to be in life? Because you bailed out. You jumped out of the car. You got off of the ship. You ran from what God was doing and he was preparing you for something and you had to go through it. Jesus, he can't receive his beating, the whipping, the nails, the betrayal until he's been prayed up. God is wanting to get you to the next level, get more out of you. So he's preparing you for what to come, what is to come. And preparation is not all that fun. Alan Iverson said, practice, practice. Nobody wants to practice. We all want to be on the field. We want to be on the court. We want to play. Practice is a waste of time. No, practice is preparation for what is coming in your destination. We feel frustrated. We feel forgotten because we jump ship. So Jesus is sorrowful. He's anxious. He has this anguish about him. He actually throws himself on the ground. This is him and his humanity. This is a peek into his life. This makes the temptation in Matthew chapter 4 so much more real that when he was tempted before, he was walking through this thing, quoting scripture. But now we see him about to walk through this thing and everything inside of him is distressed over it. Imagine, this man, he had never sinned. He never knew the guilt of sin. He never known the passing pleasures of sin. He never knew the shame of sin. He never knew the emptiness of sin, and yet he's about to be carried. He's about to carry and be covered with your sin. Jesus was about to walk through and carry your sins, and he didn't even get to experience the pleasure. You don't sin because you want emptiness. You sin because you want temporary satisfaction. It's quiet. Listen, listen, let's be honest. We don't sin because, ah, you know what, I was just hanging out and I was bored and I just felt like being broken on the inside, so I sinned. I was bored, and I don't really like sin. Listen, I like sin a lot. Sin is fun for a moment. You don't sin because it's boring, because it doesn't intrigue you, because it doesn't bring you some type of temporary satisfaction. You're just lying to yourself, and it's sin right now. We sin because the enemy uses it like it's a lure, like it's tempting to us, like that is the temporary satisfaction and fulfillment I need to get through this moment. Jesus has never engaged sin. And he's looking at it going, I have to feel guilt and shame and despair and brokenness and emptiness, and yet I didn't even experience or choose to do those things. If you put scripture to memory, this should be one of the verses you have in your thoughts often. It's a beautiful verse that Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. He made him who had no sin to be sin. Without this moment, could he not have held back his tongue when he was lied about? Without this moment, could not he have fought back against the betrayal? Without this moment, could he have stayed and taken the beating? Could he have stayed up on the cross? In this moment in the garden, he set his mind, I'm going to go through all of what is happening, get to my destination. Some of us want that destination, but we buck the process of preparation. We get in that proverbial garden, it's uncomfortable, but there is no Christ without the crucifixion. There is no life walking through it without death. Isaiah 53 had prophesied this. He said, surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering. Yet we considered him to be punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds, we are healed. And Jesus knows what's coming. Jesus knows what's ahead of him. And it's the garden moment that is his preparation time. Imagine if he had gotten up out of that garden and said, no, no. I don't know a lot about boxing, 
I only know as much about boxing as I see in the movies. Rocky, Rocky 2, Rocky 3, Rocky 4, Rocky 17, Rocky 19. That's, all about, that's about all I know about boxing. But I know that before you go into a fight, you go through this thing called shadow boxing. And you're kind of boxing in the air. Nobody's standing around. Nobody's fighting back. But you're imagining the fight. You're, you're processing it in your mind. You're imagining your foe that you're fighting against. And you're throwing jabs. You're throwing punches. You're blocking and defending yourself. This is preparation. This is Jesus shadow boxing. This is Jesus walking through it. But instead, instead, he's, he, the reality is he lets us know he doesn't want it. Which should be freeing to some of us to know it's okay to feel a certain way about a thing and yet you go do it anyway when God has called you into preparation. It's okay to express that. When I moved here, I did not want to move to Texas in 2006. It is visible in my body. Emotionally, I didn't want to come here. I actually shed a few tears. And maybe some of you have cried over the fact you didn't want to move here. This is not where you want to be. You don't live from here. And yet somehow it's okay to say that and yet walk it out anyway and go, but God, this is where you want me. This is where I'll be. This is what you're doing for me. And so it's preparation for the destination. Maybe it's another area of your life. Maybe it's something else that you're walking through in this moment and you know, God, I know that you want me to be there and I'm not going to be satisfied as long as I'm here and I've got to get over there. But that preparation period, that garden of Gethsemane, that thing in my life that is agonizing and is terrifying me, I won't walk out. I won't leave it. And I will stay the course. He doesn't want it. It's a battle of wills. And here's where the key point is found in number two. Write this down. Surrender happens on God's terms. Surrender happens on his terms. If any of you have kids, you are always being negotiated. Kids are negotiators, and they will test you as far as you allow them to. Negotiate brushing their teeth. Negotiate taking baths. Negotiate eating dinner. Negotiate putting socks on their feet. Negotiate putting shoes on the right feet. Negotiate everything. Whether they got to go to school, they got to go to bed. Everything is a negotiation. There's something about a child that do it. And as we get older, we negotiate too. And we negotiate what we want to do and what we don't want to do. Negotiate where I want to work. Negotiate who I'll marry. Negotiate if I'll stay married. Negotiate where I'll go to church. Negotiate if I'm going to be at church this weekend. Negotiate all kind of things. Negotiate my time. Negotiate my money. Negotiate my salary. Negotiate everything. We are negotiators. So it's natural in our humanity to try to do this. This is what Jesus does. He attempts to negotiate the terms of service with his father. But even Jesus has to surrender to the fact that only God sets the terms. Until you come to a place where you go, I will surrender to your terms. You're not fully surrendered. You don't get to negotiate. I don't get to negotiate. Jesus didn't get to negotiate. He had to surrender to the terms set before him. People want to negotiate all day. Life is a co collection of surrendered moments. I'll surrender this year. I'll surrender this month. I'll surrender today. I'll surrender this Sunday. I'll surrender in this, I'll surrender in this moment. But see, you can surrender at one point and then take it back again. Surrender is constant. Surrender is daily. The best way to live is surrendered daily. This is why sometimes you come to church and you feel like, you know what, today I'm going to serve. Today at church, I'm going to give. And next Sunday, you don't feel the same way because you're having to do, go through the process again. I have to surrender again. And you work through the week and you get you back to a place of, but I'm going to negotiate the terms, God. Because that whole thing about serving at your church, who am I? Mother Teresa? Come on, God. What are you asking me here? God's asking for faithfulness and commitment. 
God's asking that you would not just be somebody that received from the church, but you gave to his church. God's asking you would be somebody that would contribute to what he's doing here. Be a contributor to what he's doing, not just financially, but in your service, in your work, in your efforts, in your time, in your commitments. So you surrender to his terms. And the Sunday you don't feel like coming in, or the Sunday you don't feel like I'm scheduled, but something else came up. No, I don't negotiate the terms of my surrender. I've surrendered to him, so I show up. We don't get to surrender, we don't get to negotiate the tithe. Our giving is already preset. I live by it. Each one of us live by it. It's not something that I can go, well, God, you know what, that 10%, let's see if there's any wiggle room. How about I meet you at 3, knowing we want to get to 5? He's not a used car salesman to meet you in the middle. Our surrender must come fully on his terms. Surrender comes to this place where all of life is a battle of wills. It's God versus ours. What God wants versus what I want. Jesus in this moment cries out, everything is possible for you. That's what he's trying to negotiate. God, everything is possible for you. You can come up with another plan, another way. Take this cup from me. And oftentimes, God will withstand our negotiation. But you've got to stay in the fight, too. Because when God doesn't accept the terms of your surrender on your negotiated terms, he's still waiting. He's still willing. And he's waiting to see, are you willing as well? Are you willing to negotiate, keep negotiating? Are you willing to raise that white flag and go, God, here I am. It's your terms. Terms of surrender come from a place of, Jesus gave everything he had. You think Jesus gave everything he had so somebody could find another way to get into heaven other than through Jesus? That's why he can boldly declare, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. These are terms of surrender for eternal life. You can't negotiate this. You must surrender to it. And too many times, in our churches and our cultures, man, we just want to negotiate. We just want to sort through this thing. We just want to have this conversation. And yet you come to this place of full and complete surrender. Not my will, but your will be done. God, here's my time. Here's my money. Here's my concepts. Here's my belief. I'm not the boss. You're in complete control. This is Jonah. Jonah running from Jesus, running from God. Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah goes, Nineveh's that way. I'm going that way. Negotiating. Oh, but God, those people don't love you. Those people don't live for you. You're going to send me there to preach for those people, and nobody's going to come back to you. Or you know what you're going to do? You're going to to love them anyway, and then they're going to turn around. And he tries to negotiate the whole time. Can I encourage you this morning? Stop negotiating with God on your terms and surrender to his. Surrender to his terms. The beautiful picture here is that even Jesus had to surrender on God's terms. We want the destination. We don't want the preparation. We want to choose times and places of surrender, but he can't use you until you surrender on his terms. Don't hate it. Don't bail out. Number three, write this down. It's my intentions versus my actions. And there is a gap between who you want to be and who you really are. If intentions were awarded, I'd be one of the most awarded people in the world. So would you. But intentions don't get awarded. Actions do. So we give prizes and awards and rewards away for people who actually act out what they've intended to do. Jesus calls Peter, James, and John. Hey, guys, come into the garden. I need you to watch. Hey, guys, I need you to pray. I need you to pray for yourselves. I bet you they had every intention of praying because I know I have sat down early in the morning putting God first, meaning to pray. Oh, God. Oh, God. Thank you for today. 
I've come to church with every intention to listen. I've gone to small group with every intention to do something too. And there is some kind of weariness that comes across your body. Sometimes I think it's just being in the presence of God is the most relaxation. I told somebody one time, he kept falling asleep in church, and he kept sleeping through my sermons. As a student, youth, he kept sleeping through them. And I, he, he apologized because I, I tapped him on the shoulder and woke him up one time. I walked out here and tapped him. He felt bad. I said, you know what? Maybe, maybe that's the best sleep you're ever going to get. It's okay. Maybe I let him off the hook. I don't know. I just know oftentimes we get to a place where we have great intentions, but we don't act on them. And there's a massive dividing gap between what I intend to do and what I actually do. In the garden, Jesus could have had every intention of going to the cross. But until he walks out of that thing, out of that place, he gets there. These boys keep falling asleep. And there's a gap between the two. I used to work for my dad. My dad was a pastor, as you know. He was also a carpenter. So when I turned 18, he had this business going, and my brother and I went to work for him. And I used to play a lot of sports, a lot of sports, a lot of basketball. Basketball was my favorite at the time, and playing all day. All night. So I get off of work at about 5 or 6 o'clock, get home, get a shower, get something to eat quick, and then go to the courts and play ball all over the city, playing ball. And we might not start until 7 or 8. We might play until 11 or 12. It was one of those times when the games were just going and going. I wasn't getting in bed until like 1 o'clock in the morning, getting up at 5, 4.30, 5 o'clock, being on the job at 6. We're on this hot job on the backside of Baltimore. And we're on this job site, and as we're there, the sun is on us from about 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. It, it felt weird. It felt wide open. I know that not, it doesn't even make sense. It felt like we were in the constant sun the whole time. And we had to put this whole facade on the back of this building. And as we were, every once in a while, we'd take a break and get in the shade, come back out. Well, I was exhausted. I was irresponsible. I was tired. I was putting everything before work. I was just barely making it to work every day. And this particular day, I got to the job. And he and my brother were holding, this piece of, they were holding this piece of plywood up. And I had every intention of putting the screw in the plywood. Every intention of it. And as they're holding this sheet of plywood up against the wall, I've got the drill, and I bend down on my knee to put it in. And as I do, it, they, 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 they stop me. They go, oh, it came off the mark. And so they're adjusting again. And in the moments of them adjusting it back to where it was, I fell asleep. I mean out, and I'm holding the drill with the screw on the end on the piece of plywood, and they're, go, go, drill. <laughs> I'm just sleeping. And my dad, I won't tell you what violence he took on me because he's watching right now. He fired me, sent me to the car. I got to the car, and the story only gets worse. It has nothing to do with the rest of the story. I got to the car, and, and I got there, and I sat down, and I was exhausted. So what did I do? I've been fired, or at least temporarily suspended, whatever you'll call it. I go and I sit down in the car. Well, I go to sleep. What am I going to do, stay awake at this point? And my brother told me later he came to check on you and rehire you, but you were asleep, so he fired you again. <laughs> every intention, every intention of putting that screw in that plywood, but my actions didn't line up with it. Too many times in life, we cannot, we can't, we have trouble putting the pieces together, connecting the dots between my intentions and my actions. Twelve guys start the night. One betrays him. Boom. Now we got 11. Eight stay here in the garden. Three come with me. Let's go. Watch and pray. Now we have three. Three of you stay here. Pray unless you enter into temptation. And no one can do it. When I was in Bible school, I had this theme. For a lot of my life, if you know anything about the Enneagram, I think it was a 7-8 and then converted when I grew up and got mature and got married into an 8-7. But as a 7, you just want to have a lot of fun. Everything is a party to you. So everywhere I go was fun. So I had this little theme in my life that if I was going to be somewhere, we were going to have fun. So everywhere I went, I had that same mindset. If I'm there, we're going to have fun. If I have to do it, we're going to have fun. So I was in church one day. I was sitting in the back row, big church that we were going to, and the preacher was preaching. And as he was preaching, 
the guy next to me, Jerry, fell asleep. So me and Jerry on the back row, Jerry's passed out. He's not trying to hide it, arms crossed, head down, just asleep. Preacher preaches his message, gets through it. As he's finishing the message, he says, I feel like somebody here today has a lot of anxiety and depression. I feel like in your life today, there's, I mean, give to go in to give this word to encourage some people, but he's trying to help somebody, and so he's trying to identify them. And he says, if that's you, I just want you to raise your hand up. Well, I'm there for fun. I'm there for people to get free and have fun. So I look at Jerry, and I give him my elbow, and I go, hey, man, I think you have a hole in your armpit of your shirt. And he comes out of his slumber. He's like, what? What? And he's looking for the hole in the armpit of his shirt. And his hand is up. You, son, come on down here to the front. We're going to pray for you. It was the greatest moment in college. Like it was one of the best times ever. Because in these moments that we have in life, like, you know, Jerry went to church. I'm going to listen. I'm going to get a word. I'm going to get free. You can even come to the point of walking in the church this morning and then all of a sudden your mind goes somewhere else. You get distracted. I need him to tell another funny story. I need him to engage me more. I need them to sing a different song. I can't wait for that ice cream sandwich. I can't, and we go all these other places. I've got to pay that bill. I forgot that job needs to get done. When I get home today, I need to do this. We come with the greatest of intentions and fall short of our actions so many times. It takes responsibility. This is why I ask you and encourage you to take notes because taking notes helps you stay focused and engaged. I don't go through all this work of building out notes and putting them on the screen and our media and screen support team go through the extra layers just so that it makes it easier for you. It's also so that you have something to, you know what, that's for me. That point was for me. Because you already had the intention of being here, now walk it out with your actions as well. I can't tell you how many people tell me, Pastor, I really want to start serving. I'm going to start soon. We'd all get awards for intentions. We'd all be well decorated. Actions. Actions. The gap between our intentions and our actions is so great. Boys, you need to pray. What do they need to pray for? Boys, you need to pray. But why? What are we about to walk through? You're the one saying you're about to die and then meet us in Galilee when you come back. What do we need to be praying for? You need to pray that you don't enter into temptation. What kind of temptation, Jesus? The temptation that even comes in the form of distraction. Distraction that keeps you from action. Because you'll have all the intention in the world of serving, of living, of giving, of being free and walking in that. And then all of a sudden, distraction comes along. Doubt attacks you. Discouragement comes against you. And if you're not prayed up, if prayer is not a part of your life, it's not a core value you have, if it's not something inside of you that you practice on a regular basis, I can't say this enough. If Jesus had to stay prayed up, why don't we think we need to? We see him oftentimes leaving to go pray, leaving to go pray, leaving to go pray. Prayer is such an essential part. It's so easy to have the intention to pray, but fail the gap between actually doing it. He returned the third time. He said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough, the hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hand of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I think so many times we say this. I want to. My spirit wants to be generous, but it's stingy. My spirit wants to serve, but I end up serving my own needs. The spirit is so strong, but the flesh is so weak. Why is it that that weak thing keeps winning? How does weakness keep winning in my life? Because there's a gap between intention and action. 
Jesus is looking at him. And I'm reminded of the words that Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 6. It says this, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Because there's constantly a battle, a tension, a gap between what I want to do and what I do. This is why our vision here works so well. We exist to move you from what you want to do to what you should do. From what I want to do to what I should do. Because it's easy and every one of us have a gap between our intention and our action. And if you can close that gap and build disciplines that I'm moving beyond what I intend to do to actually what I do with my life. I know everybody wants to do something with their life, but not everybody does. Because people bail out in the preparation stage. In that moment when Jesus is kneeling, anguished, distressed, troubled, trying to negotiate the terms, but then he fully surrenders, not my will, your will be done. And he walks over to the boys and says, come on guys, it's time to go. My betrayer is at hand. The time is now. This week I want you to do something. I want you to do some homework. It's Passion Week. It's Holy Week. It's a great week. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Each one wrote of these accounts. It's not four different stories. It's one story with four different perspectives. If you ask me what happened in the game last night, why did this team beat this team, but all four of us were at the game, we'd tell you about the same game and give you four different perspectives of the same game. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Same story, same person, four different perspectives of what happened. It's so healthy for your soul to read through this week and get that in your life and process it and stop and go, Jesus, today's Sunday. This was on Thursday when he was in the garden. Not too many days before that, they were singing Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that's how quickly people's intentions and actions change. They had, an act, they had an intention to make him king. Now they have an action to crucify him. You can have all the intentions in the world on a Sunday morning, feeling inspired, feeling motivated. But on Monday, on Tuesday, Wednesday, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. This is why we struggle walking it out through the week. Close the gap. Build up your spirit, man, with prayer. Staying in his word. Staying in community. It's not too late to jump into a small group. What better time than right now as we're focused in on what Jesus was walking through? Because some of y'all walked in here with a lot of anguish, a lot of distress, a lot of frustration. Nobody's going to know. Nobody's going to understand can anybody relate to what I feel right now? I think somebody in this room would. But I know the story we've read today tells us that Jesus does. And Jesus didn't bail out. And Jesus didn't walk out. So you can't either. Stay the course. Stay engaged. Stay married. Stay focused. Stay and hang on. Hold on. Don't quit, don't back down, don't give up, don't give in, don't cave. Don't walk away. You're being prepared for something great. You'll never get to the destination if you don't walk through the preparation. Would you stand with me? Just close your eyes for a moment. 
Just look inside. Just look inside. Father, I thank you that in this moment right now, you have painted a beautiful picture of the humanity of our Savior. Before his suffering on his body, the suffering in his soul, the emotional strain and toil that he went through. Fully God and fully man, yet still able to withstand and not walk away. God, I pray today, this morning, that you would strengthen your people. Somebody's watching this online. People standing in this room. We will stand by the grace of God. We'll hold on by the strength of God. We will close the gap between intention and action as responsible, accountable, faithful, consistent people. God, I thank you that you looked down and saw your people. You did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through you might be saved. You saw your intention and you acted upon it. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now set down at the right hand of the Father. He's at his destination because he didn't bail out. And you can be too, strengthened by God. this. your eyes for a moment. Let me ask you a question. Just really, really quick. If you're here today and you say, I wish that somebody would just pray for me. You just have something in your life that's between you and I right now. If somebody would pray with me. Would you shoot your hand up? It might be about anything at all. Thank you. Thank you. Lord, you see the hands of the people extended. Holy Spirit, I pray, just do the work that you can do. Minister to that person. 
strengthen them. Empower them. Hold them. Love on them. Reveal yourself to them like they've never known before. Let this week be an experience. God, there's a weight that they're carrying on their shoulders. It probably feels too much, too great. Their mind is heavy. Their hearts are heavy. You said your burden was light. Exchange with them. Thank you, Jesus. As I close out this morning, if you're here today and today is the day you say, I would need a start at that place of total surrender, complete surrender, and give all that I am to Jesus. When you make this simple yet significant decision at the moment to step into a place of salvation, to be saved from our sins, all the way back at Christmas time, what the angel told Mary, he will save his people from their sins. The only way he could do that was through death, burial, and resurrection. This week as we celebrate that holy week, what better time than for you to make that decision to say, Jesus, I want to give you my life and give him complete control full control, all access. If that's you this morning, I want to pray with you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to bring you down to the front. I'm not going to take you off to the side. I just want to pray for you where you are in your seat. As a matter of fact, everybody in this space is going to pray together. By faith, you can believe that Jesus forgives you of your sins and does what only he can do. He brings you into his family, gives you eternal life. No one comes to the Father except through him. That's you this morning. Would you pray this prayer? Across this room, let's pray out loud. Say, Jesus, come into my life and save me. Forgive me and make me clean. I am your child now. I am forgiven. I am new. Thank you for going to that cross and not bailing out for me. Give me the grace to withstand what I'm walking through you. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said aloud. Amen. Come on, put your hands together. Let's celebrate. God is doing something amazing.